Our guest today has probably taught more people how to be joyful than almost anyone else on the planet. James Burroughs is an internationally known meditation teacher, but he's even better known as the author of the book Awakening Joy and as the teacher of the worldwide course Awakening Joy. James has distilled the wisdom and practices from the world's great religious and contemplative traditions and put them together into an accessible course for cultivating not only joy, but also companion emotions such as gratitude, love, compassion, and empathic joy, the joy that comes from appreciating the joy of others. And he also teaches how to use these beautiful, loving emotions to respond hopefully and helpfully to the great challenges of our time. Give yourself a gift and enjoy this wonderful man and his joyful gifts. Welcome to Deep Transformation, Self, Society, Spirit, Life-Enhancing, Paradigm-Rattling Conversations with Cutting-Edge Thinkers, Contemplatives, and Activists, with Dr. Roger Walsh and John Dupuy. Join us in the evolutionary fast lane as we take a deep dive into transformational practice, peak experience, profound understanding, powerful contribution. I'm Roger Walsh, and our co-host is John Dupuy. And today it is a joy to introduce someone who has probably made more people happy than almost anyone else on the planet. What a wonderful thing to be able to say about someone. And yet it's true. Our guest is James Browers. And James is a multifaceted person, a meditation teacher, author, and the creator of a course, Awakening Joy, which has reached around the planet, touched people in multiple countries, and has really made a lot of people really happy. And I'm one of them, partly just from knowing James from a number of years, but partly also from having read his book, Awakening Joy, uh, at least twice, maybe close to three times now. My sister actually went through his course and uh, went on to become a, a teacher in, in his Awakening Joy course. I first met James way back about 40 years ago at my one of my very first meditation retreats. I was doing 10 days and James was finishing three months and we became good friends and I've become, it's just been a privilege to know James and to follow his work and his trajectory first as a dedicated Vipassana meditation teacher, then as someone who have focused particularly on awakening joy and bringing happy, greater happiness and well-being to people's lives, and sometimes moving people out of deep depression. And more recently, he's become deeply concerned about our global crises, particularly the, the climate crisis we're facing, and has looked at how to bring the contemplative depths that he's spent his life researching into a consideration of and response to the great challenges of our time. James, it is a joy, <laughs> I mean, a joy to welcome you to, to Deep Transformation. Roger, I'm really touched by your words. I I don't know if I can live up to them, <laughs> I, I, but I am touched and I, you know how much I enjoy and delight in our friendship for all of these years. You're somebody who's inspired me for many years in your way. So what a what a delight to be here with you and, and wonderful to meet you too, John. 
Thank you. And just to add, when we we have our meetings, we talk about potential guests and uh, Roger talks about you maybe even more effusively when the camera is off. Uh, Great love and great respect he has for you. And of course, I have great respect for Roger. So I think we all should. And if Roger says, listen to this man, we should open our hearts and minds and absorb all this. So thank you for being here, James. Mm. Yeah, very much. And James, there's so many places we can touch in on. We do want to cover a variety of things. But as I was reflecting on a potential dialogue, it occurred to me that you and the contemporary meditation teachers like yourself who have devoted their lives to assisting people to go in to explore our inner universe, to heal and to grow and mature and develop what are traditionally called the virtues, love, compassion, joy, courage. You know, you have seen in your 40 years of teaching, you've probably seen in, say, a month-long retreat, a wider and more extensive array of profound experiences and transformations that most of us see in a lifetime. And it's quite remarkable to think that really you have been privileged to witness some of the deepest experiences, most challenging events, most traumatic memories, and most joyful transformations that human beings can go through. That that must feel like an extraordinary privilege. And, and to see the heavens and hells and highs and lows that our minds can are capable of, and yet to also see that our minds can, as you put it, incline towards the good, incline towards joy, grow in the very qualities of love and care and joy and compassion and, and empathy that all of us aspire to. That feels touching just to think of. And I just wonder... What has touched you most over these 40 years of exploring with people? Well, first, as you, as you say about witnessing everyone in all different states, the hell realms and the heaven realms, and, and seeing transformation and, and being there with them, I pinch myself every day when I really think about it. How amazingly fortunate I've been to be in a position to to witness that transformation, to support people and guide them in seeing who they really are. And knowing how I, I came to this practice, somebody very insecure, very, I didn't like myself very well, <clears throat> and was so motivated when I first heard the teachings that I said, I'm, I am going for it. I found what I'm looking for. So when I see people who have deep wounding and even trauma or have a, a ways to go before looking in the mirror and, and liking what they see, I know that that transformation is possible. And I see them all as bodhisattvas in training, that their own, their own pain their own sorrow and suffering and even trauma. If I think of it as one of my main teachers, Ramdas, would say, this is part of their curriculum. They found the Dharma and they can transform all of that pain into be of benefit and contribution for others. So that's one thing that I that I've seen again and again that if I see that in people and they are able to 
stay with the practice and learn how to open to the, their sorrows in a skillful way, little by little, that that transformation is possible. There's nothing quite like it when you see somebody move from, from self-loathing to giving to life in such a, an authentic and embodied way. So that's, that's one of my great joys to see that transformation. And I guess I've taken on my, my basic principle I've had for many, many years is to just keep seeing the good in people. And that that is a, it's the best practice that I can imagine. And especially after somebody who was afraid of people, or what do they think of me to tuning into, oh, here's a Buddha that I'm talking to. And that in itself can help help awaken that in others. So I'd say those are, those are things that just come off the top of my head. Beautiful. Yeah, very touching, very touching. So you've been deeply touched by witnessing people open to their experience and, and learn to transform that and to recognize more deeply who they really are behind those masks. Another question that stands out that comes to me thinking of your 40 years with the depths of human experience, what has most surprised you? <clears throat> what has most surprised me? That people, it's not a surprise, but it's an ongoing uh, mystery that we're the last ones to see the goodness inside. Uh. And that it's this great secret that's no secret if you just see yourself as all your friends who love you see you that's a radical shift and there you are you know that if i often say and i i lead people through a a, a bit of a loving kindness for self exercise that was transformative for me and when they seeing themselves through their friends eyes and i say you know if you met somebody who appreciated your sense of humor and understood your take on the world and understood your hopes and fears and liked your tastes, you know, how would you feel about meeting, meeting someone like that? And most people kind of nod their heads and say, yeah, that would be pretty good. And I say, there's one person that gets every joke that goes through your head. Only one. Unfortunately, they're right inside your skin. <laughs> but if you saw yourself from the outside, you'd be saying, wow, what a neat person. Where have you been all my life? And that paradox of just a, a, a little tweak of perspective is all that's needed for a deep self-appreciation and love. And it doesn't surprise me, but it always, there's always a, a mystery to it, how we're the, we're the last ones to see who we really are. Now that we have you here, that the, the oracles are open to us, as it were. One of the things that has really hurt me is the the state of our our, our country, and we're, we're all Americans here. And of course, Roger, you were born in Australia, but you're as American as any of us now. My my family, my personal family, has been divided by it, and there's this, this you know this conspiratorial theories and QAnon and this and that and the other. And and looking at it in integral terms, these things seem to be their pre-rational, you know, belief systems, and so the facts don't help you at all. The easiest thing is just to get angry 
you know, and say, you're really stupid. Oh my God. Can you believe how stupid these people are? Blah, blah, blah. But that obviously is really counterproductive and doing nothing but throwing gasoline on, on the fire. And, and then the other side of the spectrum with wokeism, you know, they're, to me, they're driving me just as nuts almost as, as the other side. Yeah, they got, they have points, but they're just making it worse. You know, you can't talk around and tell people you're all racist, you're all bad, and you're all stupid, and they expect them to get better. Uh, that's not how the human change happens, at least not in my case. So how do we, you know, how do you hold that? And I don't know if you share kind of that same experience, but how do you hold that and come out in the face of all that? Be kind and, and joyous and not as a fake act, but as something that's really coming from the depths of one's own being. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that is the big question. Yeah, I hold it sometimes better than others. I mean, sometimes better than other times. <laughs> not that, not than others. Sometimes I'm very humbled, which is, I think, a real important piece in this, just to see our own humanity and not pretend we're anywhere other than where we are. Because when I see myself getting angry, I let myself get judiciously angry when I need it to come out. And I, you know, watch mm, Lawrence O'Donnell is probably my my go-to for just getting it out like I used to if I'm in a fussy mood I'll put on old Bob Dylan and just kind of let it rip like you know how does it feel or you got a lot of nerve you know I think there's a place for that venting um, particularly when I don't know what to do with all of the 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 sorrow and the pain and the frustration and i i try to make it judicious and 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 not get caught too much in that but with all the people who are unwittingly duped by misinformation i go to the the buddhist perspective on rather than evil just ignorance just not seeing clearly they just don't understand they don't have the facts. So we're living in a world of alternate facts. And if that's their reality, then of course, that's their reality. And I, along with Buddhism, uh, one of my favorite teachings is Jesus on the cross saying, forgive them, they know not what they do. Uh, I don't think it, get much, it gets much deeper and wiser and more compassionate than that. That if I was living in that reality, I might have exactly the same reaction. So it's not up to me to judge them for the beliefs that they're stuck in. I certainly know what it's like to be caught in my own stories and beliefs. And as I often say, being humbled every now and then, not as a steady diet, but being <laughs> humbled every now and then is a good thing. It just, it knocks you off the, your, your hubris pedestal and seeing, oh, I'm just sorting things out and figuring things out for myself. And if I can get caught, you know, after all these years of practice, well, people who have not had any kind of exposure to wisdom teachings and universal teachings and uh, seeing how we're all connected of course, there's going to be a whole lot more ignorance. So I try to see the conditioning that people are in. 
just share a, a, a thought that, that comes to my mind, particularly when it's about hurtful people. A number of years ago, I was in uh, the halls of UC Berkeley. I live in Berkeley. And I saw this poster in, in the hall of a very sad child. It was really, you know, a very sad boy, his face. Clearly, he'd been through a lot. And the caption said, a child raised in a home with domestic violence is 700 times more likely to have domestic violence in their adulthood. That stopped me in my tracks. And as I took that in and could see that it's just generations perpetuating confusion and ignorance, who's to blame in that? Do you blame that child? Do you blame that child's parents who likely have gone through the same thing? So when I see it in that way, and I just see causes and conditions, causes and conditions, and remove the blame, there's a little bit more softening in the heart and ability to even just imagine what somebody's reality is and have a bit more compassion for them. Forgive them. They know not what they do. Beautifully, beautifully said. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, very beautiful. As I try to feel into the principles you've just enunciated, James, firstly, there's a there's an empathy based on your own deep practice and the recognition of the way you, we all get caught in misinformation, our own inner stories, fabrications, our own delusions, frankly. Mm-hmm. So you speak from a deep personal knowledge of our own fallibility and liability to to fall for various delusions of one kind or another and misinformation. And then you you spoke of the way in which you try to recognize the misunderstanding that guide that basically is directing people who are doing unskillful, destructive things. And it sounds like that really looking for reframing people as not good or bad or evil, but rather as lost into confusion, misunderstanding, ignorance. And that reframe, but that reframing is also deepened and empowered by your own recognition of the of the depths of of delusion that we all live in. Uh, absolutely. I'm, I'm thinking I, I have a, a quote of Solzhenitsyn who says, if only it were so simple, something like this, I'm paraphrasing. If only it were so simple, if only all we needed to do was take all the, the evil people in the world and separate them out from the rest of us and we'd be safe. Mm. But then he says, but the line between good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being and who is willing to destroy a piece of their own heart? Mm. It's in all of us. We all have the Dalai Lama and some version of Donald Trump. I don't know. He, he's, he's wounded. He's just, he's just really a sick person. But we all have that in us. And when I get angry, when I, when I feel like, you know, tearing my hair out or yelling at the, the TV set, I can't believe it. Oh, and I want to strangle somebody. Oh, there it is in me. Okay, 
get off your high horse and just see we have this in all of us and it's just a matter of of feeding the the wholesome states as the buddha said and feeding the the ones that cause suffering to yourself or to others yeah or not not taking delight in the demise of people we might have really strong feelings about donald for example you know and he's in a lot of hot water legally from many many different levels and you know but how, how do you not just watch that and go yeah I uh, get, get near his boy, you know, that kind of thing. And just hold it as you're saying, that's, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty deep. Well, you know, and, and I, I must say I do, there is a part of me that, that has a little bit of delight as the walls might be closing in and yeah, justice. There's a place in us that wants justice too. But, you know, for me reading his biography by his, by his niece, Mary Trump, Trump was, I think everybody should read that. It was an eye opener. It's, it's the, the making of a psychopath and how to, how to cultivate that. And you read that and, you know, this is causes and conditions that led to feeding certain tendencies that were in there. Oh, it was great compassion that came from that. Mm. Well, that's been one of the themes of your work, James, and and of your book, Awakening Joy, of that really that we are much more malleable than we usually recognize, and that that given the right circumstances and the right skills, and in your case, what you're providing are contemplative skills, we um, we can heal our hearts and minds and incline them and cultivate benevolent, beneficent, beautiful, joyful qualities to an extent, to a degree and an extent we don't usually recognize. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's, that's why I'm so motivated to teach. I, I do believe that there is goodness in all of us. There are some that are deeply wounded that it's, it's, uh, they're so wounded from an early age that it might not be this lifetime. But most of us, if somebody has a dog that they that they love, that's good enough. That's a start. There is love there. There is a kindness there. And then it's just a matter of, well, not just a matter. It's seeing that that love, that care, is where happiness is really at and if they only knew if they could only see how much better it is to love than to than to hate and they are given tools to do that and they have the intention to change that's the key piece that it's possible to change it's any it's possible for anyone to change if they have the intention to change. As one, one wise teacher at one r retreat many years ago said, uh, they were a movement teacher. This is back in the 70s. And uh, this, this woman came, to, um, came at the end of the movement class and said, I have this, this, uh, this problem. Could you help me with it? And the, the guy said, oh, why don't you just do this 
do this exercise? And she said, oh, no, 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 I couldn't do that uh, because this would go out. And he said, and he thought for a moment, how about this? And she said, oh, no, 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 I couldn't do that. And he gave her three different possibilities. Each time he said, no, 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 I, I, you don't understand. I couldn't do that either. And then he looked at her and he said, you know, I think your intention to stay the same is greater than your intention to change. And when your intention to change is greater than your intention to stay the same, you'll change. Until then, just know that this is where you're at. You're not quite ready to change. But when you are, come back to me. And I think that is the key. If somebody is intending to change, that's where the magic comes, as, as that Kurtz quote says, whatever you dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. So it's getting in touch with that intention and then having support and tools to cultivate all the good that's right inside you all along. James, one of the themes underlying a lot of what you've shared is the recognition that there are just some really important things about our minds, ourselves, our living that we don't know, that just aren't part of our, our, certainly not part of our educational system, which is more about making a life, living than it is about making a life, but even part of our culture. And so I, I wonder, what is it that, what do you wish everyone knew? I wish everyone knew that they are a divine expression of life. Mm. That there, there's an innate goodness in them. And the more that they can get in touch with that, the more they share all the gifts that they've been given. Mm. Beautiful. I just want to repeat that you just you you and this is pretty amazing out of your 40 years of co-exploring with people in the depths of their own hearts and minds what you wish is that people could recognize there were divine expressions of life how beautiful how really beautiful mm. Mm. that would be that is a radical transformation of self-image and it's the truth that's the thing I'm, I'm not trying to convince anything anybody of anything that's not true how could it be otherwise it, it's uh it, it well, reminds me i'm sorry well it could it could be otherwise from different different belief systems as oh, you yeah. pointed out before so i just and i want to say that you know one can hear this as a statement of faith now, this is the way it is, believe me. But you are suggesting this as an experiment, something every one of us can discover for ourselves through the kind of practices, in your case, Buddhist, Vipassana meditation, lifestyle, etc. But but the this is not a statement of faith. This is a, a hypothesis which all of us can test and test for ourselves. Absolutely. It's got to be a, an embodied experience, not just a, a, a good idea. I'm, I'm just remembering, you probably know this story, but maybe you were even, I don't know if you were there at that retreat. In, in 1979, at uh, the three-month retreat in Massachusetts, the Dalai Lama came to 
to visit at the very end. It's a really great way to end a retreat. He had just come <laughs> to the States for the first time and he heard about these meditators that were sitting for three months. And there was this Q&A. Somebody raised their hand and said, uh, Your Holiness, could you give me some advice in working with self-hatred? And at that time, the Dalai Lama didn't speak nearly as much English. And so the translator went back and forth. The translator said, he explained the question and the Dalai Lama was kind of confused, self-hatred? And they went back and forth a couple of times until he got it. Oh, hating yourself? And he looks at this guy and he says, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. You imagine sitting, <laughs> sitting for two and a half months on a retreat and the Dalai Lama comes and says, oh, you're wrong. But he said it with tremendous compassion. And he said something to the effect of, what makes you think that everything else in the universe belongs and somehow you're a mistake, that you don't belong? You are wrong. You need to change your understanding of reality. It was a really powerful moment for me because I had my own dose of of self-judgment and oh me too i i know exactly where the the questioner was coming from and and so just to see oh here i am wishing universal loving kindness to all beings may all beings be happy and somehow i'm not good enough what a what a an unfortunate misunderstanding and when you just kind of see the bigger picture if if the universe if we're all expressions of life, how can we be the the one mistake? This is a you know a grave misunderstanding, like he like he says. Or I love that actually. I quote a line I I think I got from you. I'm not not sure, but it was from the Course in Miracles. This line that I I often I quote that says, "Believing in your littleness." is arrogant because it's preferring your own opinion to God's. <laughs> Doesn't stop us. <laughs> uh, it's just a mis misperception. And, and there's a theme to a number of the things you've, you've shared, James, which is that, that we radically underestimate ourselves. Yeah. yeah. We, we don't see all the goodness inside. That's one of my main practices these days that I share with people who, who are working on this is to go to look in the mirror or on Zoom, uh, it, it's easy, it can pin yourself, we do that as well. And just look at yourself and see who's there beyond your initial reactions of, oh yeah, there's that pimple or there's, oh, there's that yucky person or what. Look deeper and see who you really are and wish yourself well, smile at yourself. I guarantee if you smile, you'll get a smile back. And, <laughs> and just, to, just to start seeing who you are, who other people see, that, that shift makes all the difference in the world. Everything else comes from that when you're not preoccupied with how am I doing? What do they think of me? Oh, I'm, I'm not good enough to, oh, who's out there? It's like that, 
that Dogen line, you know, to study, to study Buddhism is to study the self, to study the self is to forget the self, and to forget the self is to be intimate with all things. To study Buddhism, to, to practice the Dharma, this is your, your laboratory, and the more you see who you really are, you're not so preoccupied with, am I good enough? And then you can forget being so self-absorbed, then you can say, oh, who's out there? Oh, let's connect. So that's the, the, the huge shift, I think, that's required for people to really be beautiful instruments in letting life use them well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautiful. And there's such a radical shift in, well, let me step back and say, we really don't understand just how plastic our sense of identity is that we can uh, we can assume that we are some frightened little fragment of the mind at one extreme or we can assume and recognize ourselves as as joyful full complete all the way to we can identify with the the whole of creation with the entire universe the entire cosmos no boundaries no limitations on self-identity. The sense of separation dissolves, and we recognize uh, ourselves uh, ourselves, or, or we recognize the universe as ourself, or beings as ourself. And that, those are, of course, the classical unitive mystical experiences so valued by the by the world's great uh, wisdom teachings. But it's it's amazing how the range of possibilities to our to our identity. And yet in our culture, we have such a very tiny little sliver of possibilities which are presented to us. Yep. All, all it takes is just not believing your thoughts. <laughs> well, yeah, easier said than done. But <laughs> no, but that's that's good. Yeah. Uh, you know, James, I, I often, you know, I'm, I drug us to the dark side of the street. I'm, you know, I play the blues for a reason. Um <laughs> But, you know, often in my practice, I'll, I'll hit these spots where it's just deep pain and suffering. And it, it really feels like it goes beyond my own, you know, suffering and becomes all, all beings, past, present, future, all of that. What I've done is just learn to, to bless it, be with it, say thank you, teacher, and just stay with it. And, you know, it's, it's taken years of training not to run or try to bypass or escape, which is a completely rational, understandable thing to do. I mean, who wants to sit around and suffer? But I found that if I, I just sit there and it will, it will shift. And even in times of great grief, when I just lost my parents or other loved ones and stuff, if I just stay with it, just stay with it, just stay with it, it seems to comes an un underlying peace and like I'm still grieving, but I can handle this now. Somehow it's essentially okay. And it's not what I want, but it's essentially okay. And other times I can be present with it where I come through in a, in a, in a, a deep, deep state of, of peace and feeling connection with God, mm. the, heart, mm. the spirit. So, Well, first, I'm sorry for your loss and hope your, your grieving is going as fruitfully an integration as possible. And I completely agree with you that part of this process is opening up to all the pain and, and suffering inside. You know, people say, oh, is Awakening Joy, is that just a feel-good program? No, it's a feel-everything program. 
and and that and that part you know i've been teaching buddha dharma for many years now the first noble truth there's suffering in life and the buddha said i teach about suffering and the end of suffering and those who aren't afraid to encounter and understand suffering are the ones that really can get in touch with the highest happiness inside so this isn't this is not about denial it's absolutely essential to feel the grieving feel the pain feel the sorrow and to learn how to metabolize it so we're not overwhelmed by it and we're not stuck in it and we're not denying it but to know our capacities and little by little learn how to process it know our you know what's in trauma work called the window of tolerance you don't want to go above what you can handle because then you get dysregulated and just re-traumatized but you don't want to go below it and and numb out and not touch it but there's a process of integration that if you have the right tools which include presence which include a compassionate presence not just a not just a, a sterile presence but a, a kind presence then you can integrate the pain of your own in your own life and the pain of the world and that's an absolute essential part of the whole process also one last thing that occurs to me and and with grieving particular particularly it, it it's important not to do it alone that we need community uh, I, i've been really appreciating francis weller's work on grieving where he says for for so much of human history people have have grieved as a sacred act of integration of of helping each other hold the sorrow and in these modern days often we we think it's we, we have to do it by ourselves and get over it and but we need community especially in these in these times in the the times ahead that's what's going to get us through grieving together but not getting stuck there and and moving through it so that then we can get in touch with all of the those beautiful qualities that help hold the grieving love and compassion and and share them with others yeah yeah beautiful yeah now, Roger and I met each other at a conference, and I'd always, every time I went to a conference, Roger was offered one of the main speakers, and I'd always make sure I'm not going to miss Roger. This man mm-hmm. has wisdom, and he's not, I don't know, he doesn't have all these attachments. He doesn't have this agenda other than to be what he is and teach. And I just lost my parents, and Roger just lost his wife, Frances, and we started talking, and then we continued talking uh, you know, after we left the conference and it was just a connection made in our, in our loss. And of course, that's what deep, I said one day, Hey, you want to do a podcast? And, you know, uh, here we are speaking right now. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I was very bad at, at what you're saying. And when my brother committed suicide, a bunch of bad things happened and I got in my old truck and I just wandered around the country for, it was four years. And like a Buddhist, like I said, a hungry ghost. Mm-hmm. And finally I went to a therapist. He said, you're doing this alone. What is the matter with you? So I went back to my parents' place and that began the journey of, of healing. And I, I've had, definitely had to learn to be with people and, and to reach out. And yeah, 
amen to what you're saying. It's essential. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I wanted to just take a moment to bring out, accentuate some of the things you said, James. First off, that your Awakening Joy course is it's not a feel-good but a feel-everything program. That just sounds so right. And there's a beautiful line from a poet, I'm blocking in his name, but if a way to the better there be, it exacts a full look at the worst. And, of course, we usually recoil from that thought of looking at the worst. And you, yet you just gave some very important principles for how to do that. First, underlying what you said, I think, is the recognition that one of the things one really learns in meditation and psychotherapy is that awareness heals, that anything in the mind we're unwilling to experience sticks around until we are willing to experience it. And the unfortunate corollary of that is whatever you're unwilling to experience runs your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. it reminds me, there's a, a Robert Blake line that I love. He says, every part of our personality that we do not learn to uh, to embrace will become hostile to us. Yeah, and yet you pointed out that if we can, whatever we can bring into awareness metabolizes, it mm. transforms, it loses its painful, destructive charge and begins to unravel and release and even transform into the positive, some of the positive qualities. So there's that wonderful there's this magic to awareness. Exactly. That, that, that's the miracle of awareness, that it can hold anything. O awareness, the awareness of fear is not afraid. The fear is just dancing in the bigger space of awareness. The awareness of, of uh, outrage is not angry. The awareness can hold it all in that bigger space where everything else is coming and going. And that's why, why, why the Buddha said that there's one direct way to overcome sorrow and lamentation and grief, despair, and realize the highest happiness. And that's establishing mindfulness because mindfulness or awareness, that special kind of awareness has this unique property of weakening all the unwholesome states. Oh, here's my old friend, fear. Oh, and here's sad Buddha, I might call it on, on retreat, you know. And it weakens it, but it also amplifies all the wholesome states. When you pay attention to it, whether it's joy or compassion or love or generosity, when you bring your mindful attention to it, it deepens the neural pathways and it also deepens that, that joy that you feel. The Buddha says in one of his discourses, he says, the gladness that's connected with the wholesome, I call an equipment of mind to overcome all ill will and hostility. When you really pay attention to the gladness connected to that uplifting state, it increases it, it deepens it. He says, don't miss it, which is like the essence of, of the joy course. Don't miss it. And he gives the example of, say you're in the middle of a generous act. This is in one of the discourses. He says, think to yourself, I'm being generous now. This is the Buddha. And he's not saying, hey, check it out. 
look what kind of a generous guy I am. But he's saying, just notice how good it feels for generosity to move through you. Ah, tune into that gladness, that uplifting feeling, and you will deepen it and more likely have it arise in the future. So awareness is the key. Stay tuned for part two of this dialogue with James Burroughs when he goes into more detail on the actual steps involved in cultivating joy and coming to a fuller, richer emotional life and engagement with life itself. Today's episode was brought to you by iAwake Technologies. Visit the Deep Transformation website to find out more about iAwake's audio tools designed to wake us up, grow us up as a part of our daily deep transformational practice. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Deep Transformation Podcast, and we greatly appreciate your comments, suggestions, and questions. Thank you for all you are and all you do. From John, Roger, and the Deep Transformation team.